What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to the Smart Up Moments Smack Talk podcast, where we're back with another edition of Paul Heyman's Smackdown, our trip back in time to the year 2002, where we check out all the episodes of Smackdown under Paul Heyman's right, writership, if that's a word even. but It is now. Yeah, exactly. So I'm Callum Wiggins, as always, your host for this series, and joining me as always, Robert DeFelice. Hey, Callum, we are back in the DeLorean. It's July 25th, 2002. How are you feeling on July 25th, 2002? How am I on July 5th, 2002? I'm nine years old, so I'm probably very... I'm probably a lot more content than I am at 28. (laughs) I I imagine so. I imagine there's a Game Boy advanced in your hands and you're just living life and enjoying yourself. Yeah, it's probably more of a um a PS2 controller probably at this point. So is that would that be around at that point? Oh, that would definitely have been around. We've been around okay. for a couple of years. Okay, so that's cool. Uh, what have you been doing in July 25th? Probably the same thing. Actually, there was a PlayStation 2 controller in my hands, and I was just enjoying summer vacation. You don't want to hear about too much stuff in the past, guys listening in. Don't want to delve too far into the life story. You want to listen to some SmackDown action, and we'll be bringing that to you soon. But just a first a reminder to. Make sure that if you're watching this on YouTube, to maybe like the video, hit the bell for notifications, leave a comment below, talk about how you're enjoying the series so far. If you're not enjoying it, then don't leave a comment. We don't need to read. Don't need that negativity in our lives. We already have enough of it going around with this coronavirus stuff. Absolutely. But if you're not listening to it on YouTube, you're listening for your podcast feeds, then you can leave a like there. Head on over to YouTube, leave a comment on there as well. And you can also, if you are watching on YouTube and you haven't checked out this episode in advance, well, there's a link down in the description, so you can check out the episode after we finish describing it. But we'll start off, as always, by talking a bit, a bit about the news that's just happened. So, obviously, the biggest story is the fact that this is the show immediately following Vengeance. We have already done a review for Vengeance as well, but that is a Patreon-exclusive dark cast here, so... Make sure you're signed up for the Patreon. If you've signed up at the Dark Cuts tier, which is at the $10 tier, then you'll be able to have listened to that review in advance. Hopefully, people that have listened to that and listened to this both enjoyed those ones. Give some encouragement for people to uh, join in and make sure you're you're doing it, being a completionist like we are during this series. Absolutely. Because, you know, to go back in time and really soak in all of these moments and how it's shaped really even the product we're watching today it's just it's fun to really be a completionist with all of this so other than that there isn't really a lot of wwe related news or even tna related news that i found was particularly interesting but the biggest story that i found which i thought had some interest is that ring of honor crowned their first world champion in this yes, week. yes they did was it's it not with... xavier uh no it wasn't it was um it was a four-way 60-minute ironman match which crowned Loki as the first champion. Ah. So Loki defeated Christopher Daniels, Spanky, also known as Brian Kendrick, and Doug Williams in a fatal four-way match. That's a that's a really good four-way. Uh, Loki at this point is also tearing it up in the X Division in TNA and having some banger matches with AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn. So it looks at this point that Loki's got a bright future ahead of him. Yeah. So it's just good. It's just put it all into some sort of level of context. Like this is really at the Ring of Honor have been going for a few for about a month or two prior to this, but just to go back to their very first champion. And how things have probably fallen, I'd say, since. Yeah, but, I think that's absolutely fair to say. 
I mean, don't get me wrong, Ring of Honor's had a great 18 years, all things considered, but at this point, they're a movement, as is TNA in its own right, and sky's the limit, it seems, for guys like Doug Williams and Brian Danielson and Spanky, and uh, actually, do we get to talk about Spanky on this show? We will get to see him right at the very end. All right. That's some good news. But we'll move on now to whatever Raw was up to. So we are, again, talk about the ratings war a little bit. So for the seven, for the 22nd of July edition of Raw, scored a 4.3 rating. So it got a boost up from the previous week because of probably the fallback from Vengeance. Rock is the new champion. Rock would be appearing on Raw. He would have a um, a great match with Eddie Guerrero. Is one of the matches on Raw. Very which, good match. Uh, yeah, uh, fun oh. opening promo too with The Rock singing La Bamba and Eddie Guerrero. Just good times. Uh, SmackDown for this edition, which is the uh, 25th of July episode of SmackDown, scored a 3.79. So Raw crushed them in the ratings this week. I think you know what I think that is. As cheesy as it sounds, I think that's the Triple H factor. The so, what's yeah, like that, you got Triple H and Shawn Michaels. I think I would have tuned into Raw over SmackDown too at that point. So the big story coming out of Raw was that Triple H and Shawn Michaels were meant to reform Degeneration X, and so the segment towards the end of the show was them coming out in DX gear. Triple H says, "Let's get ready to suck it." Then he boots Shawn Michaels in the the gut, delivers a pedigree, turns heel, and leaves Michaels in a heap on the mat. I think more importantly at the. Uh... To protect Sean here, Hunter begins doing the pedigrees where he lets the guy go. Because mm. before this, Hunter's pedigree, he always kept the arms hooked. But to really let Sean protect himself, he starts doing the pedigrees as they're done now, where you just let the guy go and they kind of fall flat. So RBD unified both the Intercontinental and European Championships uh, in a ladder match with Jeff Hardy. End of an era that I'm sure uh, Tony must love because he hates the European title. But I liked this ladder match better than their SummerSlam 2001 ladder match. Yeah, this was a um, a good ladder match. But I think their match at um, SummerSlam 2001 was a bit too chaotic and all over the place. They had quite a few big botches in it. This one wasn't quite nearly as botchy. It was shorter as well, which I think probably would have helped on an episode of Raw. Hardy, despite being a uh, top ladder match veteran, wasn't exactly having too much luck in uh, ladder matches in 2002. Oh, no, no. He was clearly the uh, the guy who was in the ladder match to do the spot, but then he loses. So what else was Raw? What happened to Raw? We obviously mentioned The Rock defeating Eddie Guerrero in the main event. I think I quite like the fact that as we will talk about The Rock's journey between now and his eventual departure after SummerSlam, he tries to go through the ringer to fight some of the best people in WWE at this point in time. So he doesn't exactly... It's not like he's only here for the paycheck and then he's straight out to Hollywood. He's actually there to have some put on some decent matches with some of the best people they have. I think Rock is... Uh, business is in his blood. Very old school. He knows to try to do business on the way out. And even though he wasn't necessarily putting people over in terms of victories, he was allowing people to shine in the ring with wrestling's biggest star. Raw also saw the debut of the Island Boys, who would later be christened Three Minute Warning. It was uh, Jamal and Rosie. I know that they're like the black sheep of the Samoan tag teams, but I I just don't think that Samoans do anything bad. I think Jamal and Rosie were great. 
So they were brought in as uh, Eric Bischoff's hired guns, and their first action on Raw was to beat up both the fabulous Moolah and Mae Young. Of course, of course. Why wouldn't it be? You know, why wouldn't you sick two, three hundred pounds of Owens on elderly women? And the biggest story in regards to what we're going to be talking about on SmackDown is that after Raw poached Triple H from SmackDown at Vengeance, Stephanie McMahon made her first acquisition from Raw, which was to bring Brock Lesnar over to the blue brand. Yes, and he does make his SmackDown debut on the show we're about to cover, but as we know, the GM feud is very real in this era, and Eric Bischoff wasn't going to take that lying down. No, so we'll definitely have plenty of that to talk about, for better or for worse. So, with all the admin out of the way, let's move on to the actual edition itself. So, July 25th, 2002, recorded on July 23rd, Conseco Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, Indiana. So, not quite just the nor- the northeast haven that we've gotten used to. Yeah, they're branching out a little bit into the Midwest. They must be feeling confident in their abilities at this point. So, the show starts with... I don't know how to really describe it. It's an incredibly bizarre out it's there. So Heyman produced. That's a Heyman produced Stephanie Man promo introduction segment. I don't know I how. Mean, I can't. I can't. This, uh, say that it's one of these ones where you can't really describe it with words. So if you haven't checked out the episode, I'd kind of just urge you, even if you don't watch the rest of it, just to watch this because it's so unbelievably unhinging. Yeah, this took me way out of my game immediately like stephanie is clearly being told to say names many different times in many different ways they've got like this these random effects because it's 2002 and we got to be a little edgy um stephanie's still trying to be a little seductive like it was just i think you hit the word on the head it's unhinging yeah, it just features tons of like color changes. She's standing, standing or sitting or kneeling against a bunch of uh, SmackDown monitors. It's like she's in completely different positions every time the camera goes to her. It's um, yeah, and it also just adds to this aspect that you were talking about, where the general managers are just taking over every single aspect of programming right now. Yep, it's uh, it's something we would get used to hearing a lot in the subsequent years. But Stephanie says it's the new era of WWE. The WWE is very big on, like, oh, we're hitting the restart button. Look yeah, at this they, new... They like to announce it, just to make sure that you're aware that something's changing. It can't yeah. just happen organically. You just have, not, to, not, you have to know as soon as it happens that <laughs> this is different, this is not actually there anymore, move on. And trust me when I tell you, uh, there's nothing organic about this opening vignette. <laughs> No, not not whatsoever, but at least for the benefit side of things, at least it did give us a rundown of what we were going to see on the show, which was Edge versus Chris Jericho in a steel cage match, Rey Mysterio making his in-ring debut, The Rock and Hulk Hogan versus the Un-Americans for the World Tag Team Championships, and Brock Lesnar's SmackDown debut. So, pretty stacked card. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think for what it's meant to do, it does its job, but I don't know if it would entice any people who weren't already watching. Well, I think it's safe to say, without giving too many spoilers away, that next week we won't have another one of those segments. Yeah. So I think that's a sign of how they thought it went down. But we start off the actual show with Kurt Angle versus Mark Henry. I do like shows that start, that at least mix things up. Like, it's not always 
the 20 minute promo segment that we know and hate in episodes of Raw and SmackDown nowadays. They actually sometimes mixed up with putting a match first. Yeah, and I like that there wasn't even the opening pyro. It just went from the logo to the Kurt Angle's music head. At least you got Angle's pyro. As long as there was some pyro, then it's good. That's true. So this is an early incarnation of their legendary Royal Rumble 2006 main event, which I like to bring up because it's in my head is like when I when I think of Kurt Angle and great matches, that's right on the bottom of the list. I do think that their match at the Royal Rumble 2006 was a lot better than those bits and pieces we would see here. I think the best match they would ever have together is in later in a Judgment Day 06, but these matches are okay at best, and this one really was just there to be there. So Angle does a few spots where he tries to lift up Henry for a suplex, but Henry's too big, so he keeps just hurting his back trying to do stuff. At one point, Henry lifts Angle up onto the top turnbuckle and pats his head, drawing laughs from the crowd. But um, yeah, it's just a lot of... Eventually Angle does hit a side suplex, Henry does eventually get the full advantage and seems to have Angle in a in a tough way, like he could actually get a victory here, until Brock Lesnar rushes the ring. So he doesn't make his in-ring debut on this one, but he does get in the ring. He attacks Mark Henry, hits the F5 on this huge 350 With relative ease. Yeah, with a lot of ease, yeah. And yeah, just him and Heyman leave, just gloating and laughing, and Angle is pissed because he's lost by DQ. And not only that, but he was having... They were really setting the stage of, like, he's struggling to lift Mark Henry, and this, you know, new guy just comes in, lifts him up like it's nothing, and he walks away. Yeah, so both guys have reasons to be pissed at Lesnar. Mark Henry, obviously, because he's been attacked, and he had the advantage on Angle, and he might have got a more decisive win if it kept going, because Angle was struggling. And Angle, because he didn't have a chance to even make a comeback or do anything, because Lesnar had already interrupted him and ends up costing him the match. By the way, uh, just like I had said on the Vengeance podcast, which you can... Check out now on uh, the Smart Guy Moment Patreon. Uh, great F5 here. Henry lands proper, like flat, as mm. he's supposed to on the F5. And it really takes me back to why that move became such an impactful move in the first place. So backstage, an angry angle confronts Lesnar. Lesnar actually speaks for himself. He's not just using Heyman as his mouthpiece constantly now. Does that angle look like he was in trouble, so he wanted to help out? Uh, Angle basically says who the hell Brock thinks he is and Lesnar says that he's the guy that's going to win the WWE title at SummerSlam and that means that Angle's days as the top guy on SmackDown are over. I also like that he said, uh, you know, I really wanted to fight you but you just dropped the ball. You know, like, really really sticking it to him, yeah. yeah. I have to say that one of the things that really caught me about this segment in particular is that Brock's facial expressions while he was talking... This is a guy who's being directed to be scary and try and be intimidating. And it's coming off because of how we see Brock Lesnar now. And Brock Lesnar, he he comes off as intimidating because he doesn't take anything seriously. But when he gets angry, then he can just you know that he's a killer. Whereas this Brock looks like, I don't know, uh, like a Sid type <laughs> character. That's, that's, in terms that's of, a good comparison. Obviously, he's a great rest, a much better wrestler than Sid is, even at this point in his career. But he comes across as very all angry monster man from the late 80s or early 90s period of WWE. I think that's something we're going to have to talk about in later episodes. 
But I will say, I think Lesnar looks much more comfortable here than he did when he came back in 2012 and tried to talk on the mic and just sort of ended up shrieking random yells. Mm. He seemed like he was very much into trying to get the cadence of cutting a promo and trying to speak for himself, even though he's got the genius of Paul Heyman behind him. So we see Stacey Keebler's legs, followed by the rest of her body. Did Stephanie's you know that office. she has legs? Yeah, and she was using them to walk into Stephanie's office this time. Uh, very a cringy segment in the sense that, like, Stephanie's talking about the fact that her father... Oh, if I know Vince, he's already getting serviced by somebody else. Is it just weird? Yeah, to talk about your dad. Like, even though yeah, you know like, their family has been through, and we know what Vince is up to. It, just to hear his daughter talk about how he's probably off getting some sort of and like she's treatment just by like, Yeah, he's probably getting serious. You know? Yeah, my dad's cheating on my mom. It's fine. Yeah, we'll move on. Um, but Stacey offers instead to be her assist, Stephanie's assistant instead. And Stephanie asks, like, asks her to answer the knock on the door. And as she walks away, Stephanie just kind of just shakes her head and mocks Stephanie. Not mocks Stacey, should I say, by basically saying that she's an airhead blonde. So funny. Yeah, it's not very endearing though, is it, for a baby face? No, but I think that they were this is the WWE two thousand two vision of what a woman in power is. So it's just it's an interesting study, I I should say that. So Stacey returns and she has a bunch of roses in a vase and says they're for Stephanie, who reads the note and it finds out that that's from Eric who said that he'll be there tonight to claim a SmackDown talent for his own. And Stephanie gets enraged and throws the vase against the wall. Yeah, so. Stephanie was always good at that. I'll never forget her breaking that lamp after she found Triple H and Trish. Yeah, she's good at smashing things. Very good at smashing things. So the next match is the Reverend Devon versus the Big Valboski. So not everything was a show stealer on, the, on this card. Where's, where's Randy Orton and his tag partner? <laughs> So Randy Orton, I believe, at this point in time had suffered a concussion. And so it was out of um, commission for a short period of time. So they couldn't go on with the massive tag team feud of who, will Randy Orton finally find someone that can help him beat Batista? So Devon's accompanied by Batista and the big guy is joined by Hawker Holly, his tag team partner in the hardcore porn stable. That's, that's forgotten over. So Valboski dominates early before charging himself and Devon over the top rope. And it's, it was the, like the cactus clothesline spot. And that ends up with Devon getting the advantage over Valboski. Ah. It's not exactly the most uh, effective heat segment in the world. But the match is like not bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's, there's nothing inherently wrong with it other than the fact that I just don't care. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand the Reverend Devon bit at all. So Batista clearly pulls Valboski off of a fisherman suplex in front of the referee, but it's not a DQ. Holly then attacks Batista at ringside. Valboski then just hits a blue thunder bomb and gets the victory. So yeah, just a, a nothing match really. Uh, Batista gets in the ring and just decapitates both Valboski and Holly, hits the spine buster to Holly. And yeah, so Batista's still being pushed as the big upcoming star out of this act in front of a bunch of mid-carders that have nothing better to do. Yeah, I I can imagine that Heyman wanted Devon because, you know, ECW ties and all that. But 
I just never grasped the the deal with that. Like, Devon to me doesn't seem like he would be a top star ever. You know, I kind of feel like it was just a rib by Vince to just split up the the Dudleys and see what they could do. I don't well, think, you got I think, I think said, yeah, I want Devon, but I also want Balber as well and Spike. And he said, nah, that's not gonna happen. Poor so, Devon. So we cut backstage again where Stacy is talking to security and tells them if they see anything suspicious to inform Stephanie. And then they just all watch as Edge walks out of the arena and Stacy has to get them to follow him and stop him. Everyone's on high alert because nobody knows who the SmackDown star that Eric has his eyes on at the moment. And now if you're Eric Bischoff and you just lost Brock Lesnar, is there any SmackDown superstar you can take that is going to make up for losing... The blue chip prospect that is Brock Lesnar. Hmm. Nathan Jones hasn't debuted yet, right? That's correct. Okay, then I don't. I can't really think of anyone. I mean, you're looking for somebody who's maybe an NCAA division athlete, but there's really nobody on the SmackDown roster that really fulfills that role. I mean, if you're looking at blue chip, then you want Cena, but Heyman's been desperately wanting Cena anyway. I know. Um, I, I think the only thing you could have done is. Try to take a bunch of guys that would match up to Lesnar. Well, they I would, would even do. argue that that might fail. Well, they would do eventually. Like, I mean, obviously, they wouldn't match up to Brock Lesnar at least by the time that Lesnar had left. But Raw did eventually take Randy Orton and Batista. Ah, uh, that is true. So they would eventually reach out to the same levels that Lesnar had, at least during his first run. So Lance Storm and Christian backstage say they've worked hard and earned their title win at Vengeance because they're heels and they make shit up. And Storm says they need to make a statement tonight against the American icons of The Rock and Hulk Hogan. Just a, a basic promo. That's an honest statement. I would say The Rock and Hulk Hogan were American icons at this point. Edge is back with uh, security, making jokes with them until Stephanie arrives. Stephanie asks what the deal is, but Edge says that he's smacked down through and through. He's not, has no intention of leaving Raw. And instead, he leads Stephanie to the production truck. Uh, there, Edge hands a producer a VHS tape. God. Oh. 2002. Uh, I guess DVDs weren't the primary format yet. Yeah, it's just, it's so, wow. it's like a different world at that point in time, because we've already gone past the point where DVDs aren't even a thing anymore. That's crazy that they were still primarily using VHS. So, at the in the actual VHS, it's just a countdown clock. So I guess trying to mirror or lampoon the fact that it was... Jericho came in as a cat with a countdown clock, and it counts down to the end of the show. With Edge saying that by the time that clock reaches zero, I'll have beaten Chris Jericho in a steel cage match. Um, okay, cool. Uh, cool looking way to get inside the production truck, which is also where I believe Stephanie shot her cringy opening promo. I imagine so. Uh, that was probably a very Paul thing. Look at all these TVs and all these monitors and. We're in the media age. So before we move on to the continuation of the show, there's a small cutaway to a SummerSlam commercial. So this is a pretty, I guess, well-known SummerSlam commercial because it's a bunch of men chasing down an ice cream truck because inside the ice cream truck is uh, is Trish Stratus, not Stephanie Man, Trish Stratus in a very low-cut dress. And yeah. ice cream is very satisfying. Yeah, basically asking if they want some stri- sweet satisfaction. Well, at this point in time, Trish didn't have a title belt, and spoiler alert, she does appear at SummerSlam 2002, just not in a match. What a surprise. 
We'll talk about that more when we move on to one of our future reviews and the Patreon Darkcast. But for now, we talk about Rikishi versus Albert. So this is our first sign of Albert on the uh, SmackDown reviews. Also, that uh, countdown clock is looming over our heads. They really wanted you to know that something big was going to happen at the end of this show. But before the match even kicks off, Mark Lloyd approaches Kurt Angle backstage, who says he's on the phone with Eric. And so he's looking pissed and he's walking out of the arena. And Mark Lloyd says that Mark Lloyd basically, because we're idiots that have no attendance ban whatsoever, has to explain to us in granular detail who Eric might actually be. Because, yeah. you know, we don't we don't know anything wrestling fans. No, you gotta, you gotta really beat it over the head, Gil. So the match itself is that Albert immediately hits a bicycle kick before the bell even rings, beats the hell out of Rikishi for a long time, hits a Vader bomb for two, Rikishi makes a comeback, does the stink face, a super kick, and then a Banzai drop and wins. So... Again, it's it's really short. There's really not much to say other than the fact that at least it was a decent hot sprint match. But you can't really say uh, much more beyond that. I was more taken aback by the fact that they printed a shirt that I'm sure they didn't own the rights to the phrase, but Rikishi's shirt literally just says back that ass up. And then it says his name on the back of the shirt. Mm. Like we're still very much in the age of like shock value. But we're getting a little more sophisticated with it because you, you've seen in this episode, there's a lot of cell phone action going on. Flip cell phones are becoming commonplace, Caleb. So Rikishi picks up a hat conveniently left on the stage for some reason and starts dancing with the lights flash and the pyro goes off around him. I think the, probably the dance celebration was longer than the match itself. But that's what Rikishi was there for. And it just makes me wonder why the hell did they bother turning him heel in 2000? And but you know what he's he is the workhorse of this brand because at the end of the day we're gonna find him in a lot of matches in this journey. So Stephanie speaks to Mark Lloyd about the incident earlier, then brings out one of those newfangled flip cell phones, calls Kurt Angle, leaving a voicemail saying not to listen to what Bischoff says and that SmackDown is the place for him under her management. And then we have a Rey Mysterio hype package with Michael Cole referring to him as the world's most spectacular cruiserweight. So yeah, they, do, they, they, they did not know him. what they had at this point. They were just like, this might be a good boost for the cruiserweight division. So now we move on to one of the big matches on the show, which is the WWE Tag Team titles are on the line. Lance Storm and Christian defending against The, the Rock and Hulk Hogan. So, yeah, it's The Rock and Hulk Hogan on the same thing, which is... About the most over team you could possibly put together on the brand at this moment in time. Realistically, in the eyes of the fans, Lance Storm and Christian should have lost in five seconds. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the fact that it's went on middle of the middle of the show basically told you, yeah, there's not going to be a title change in this one. Because if there was a title change, you would have to. Put it would have been the main event. event. Yeah. Uh, there's a great sign in the crowd of a yellow and red Yoda saying, <laughs> "Live forever, Hulkamania will." Uh, a lot yeah. of creative signs here, like a saw a blame Canada sign at some point in the show. Saw uh, anti-Americans take off a eh? like it's just very people are still very into wrestling. It's very funny to me. So the first thing I wanted to point out about this match is that I think Hulk Hogan and The Rock are the most punch-heavy tag team in wrestling history. 
because most of their move, most of their repertoire is occasionally do a move, but that mostly punch people in the head. Oh yeah, this is very much in the era of if you are a main event guy, eighty percent of your offense is just straight up punching. Do you? Want, I actually counted how many punches they delivered in the whole match because I was interested to see how that would actually go. Do you want to know how, okay. many, how many punches they threw? What'd you get up to? Uh, I'm gonna say thirty-five. Ooh, it's close. Thirty-seven. Ooh. 37 punches in the whole match between the two of them. I kind wow. of like... It was quite a bizarre match, really, just because it's two wrestling icons against two comparative career mid-carders. Obviously, Christian did eventually become a world champion. But, but not until everybody was gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that the only match that's really an equivalent to this is The Rock and John Cena against The Miz and R-Truth. Yeah. I don't think there's any there's ever been a match, at least in WWE side of things, that's been so heavily weighted to one side of the tag team being like these are the huge stars and these other two are just there for the for the ride. To take the bumps, yeah, really. And it's it's a great spot. I think this is a great TV match. It would have made people tune in. And I'm surprised they didn't go to the well with this team more often. Oh, I guess they might have if both weren't halfway out the door. <laughs> Yeah, so it's interesting that The Rock has to do most of the selling for this match because obviously Hogan's his partner, even though he's just been crowned the undisputed champion. So Tess gets involved time and again to attack, attack The Rock on the outside. Hogan keeps distracting the referee, allowing the Un-Americans to do more damage because Hogan can't help himself. Yeah, want... because it's, it's the best Hogan spot you can do. I gotta help my friend, brother, but I'm actually hurting my friend, brother. That's, that's about as Hulk Hogan as you get. At one point, Storm blocks the rock bottom and hits the Savart kick, but Hogan breaks up the count. Tess pulls Hogan off the apron to distract him, so when Rock does a big dive for the corner, Hogan isn't there to make the hot tag. They're doing a really good job of extending the tag, making people want it desperately. Storm's overzealous taunting eventually lets Rock hit a DT. He tags in Hogan. Hogan makes the hot tag where he stares around at the crowd for 10 minutes and then gets in the ring and starts throwing punches after punches. Christian ducks a big boot. They hit a double back suplex on Hogan, which must have sucked on Hogan's back. Um, Rock, yeah. The Rock psychology in this match mm. is something that feels like of a just a day gone by. Like the shit that they're doing is so black and white. It's so simple, and you don't see it anymore. You know, it's and it really makes you wonder how much the business has changed. Uh, Rock bottom to Storm. Tess gets in the ring. Rock punches him to the floor. A reverse DDT by Christian gets two, and Hulk starts hulking up. He does hit the leg drop, but before the free count can happen, Brock Lesnar is back again for the second time to interfere in a match and cause a disqualification. He attacks the baby faces. Hogan eats an F5, which I was honestly surprised about. I didn't recall Hogan actually taking the F5. Uh, he was still feeling good enough at this point, brother. I think he could have landed, you know, pretty did, safely. He didn't take it quite like Henry did. He landed a bit more on his side than just flat on his face. There goes that hip, brother. Lesnar flees. Rock and Lesnar stare down from one side of the ring to, like, Rock in the ring. Lesnar standing on the stage. And so, yeah, it's it's good build towards SummerSlam, but it is just another... It was a good match, but it's another fuck finish. Uh, small note, the... The look that Paul Heyman is going for here mm. with the ball cap and 
oddly enough, the constant media credentials around his neck is just silly. <laughs> like, I'd much prefer the Paul Heyman we have now as to this one. Well, Heyman is Lesnar's agent. He's not his manager. So I guess he feels like he needs to get credentials to come to the show. Like, as a, a basically a, like a sticker a over agent. himself yeah. saying that I'm Brock Lesnar's agent, that type of thing. I guess so. That's it, It's just one of those funny things. So backstage, Lesnar and Heyman approach a limo and want to leave, but the driver informs them that Hogan's the person that has that limo. Lesnar threatens him, and so the driver decides that he wants to live for a few more years beyond this point and decides to let them in and drive away with them. Uh, just because I pointed it out several times already, the driver also has one of those fancy newfangled flip phones. <laughs> and, but, and realistically here, in what world do you just show up to any limo and say, yeah, let me in. This is my limo now. I guess when you're Lesnar and you feel like you can do that sort of thing and get away with it. Well, wait, what kind of agent is Paul Heyman? Why don't they have their own limo? <laughs> hey, why do you need to order your own limo when you just take someone else's limo? I, I guess so. The, that, that's the 2002 way. Commentary discussed the chaos in WWE recently and the talent jumps and how... Losing anger would be a big blow for SmackDown. They interview John Cena backstage. Yeah, and this is this fucking is hell, something. this is a John Cena promo if I ever saw one. <laughs> it's nice and, to see that he just keeps that character. And and this is unpolished John Cena, so it's even it's even less. So his whole appealing. promo against uh, Test, who's going to be his opponent tonight, is basically just uh, comparing him to a woodchuck and how he's got giant Canadian teeth. Like basically, if he says something to the effect of Canadians have free health care, but they clearly don't get free dental care. It's really, really lame. Yeah. And again, John Cena as the prototype isn't this cringy. This shows like you get to the main roster and you feel that pressure and you can like collapse underneath it. And he's trying to fire up after that slap from test. And it's just the weirdest facial expression. Which, I mean, I'm trying to remember, there's a segment where Cena does that sort of thing where he gets super, like in his later years, where he gets super pissed off and angry and you're just staring down it's the, the ne- It's the Nexus. Yeah. So it's that segment and just, Cena, Cena's great. Don't get me wrong. Cena's, and he carries the company forward for years and years at this point and he does so because he's really good at connecting with the crowd and for the most part he does do really good facial work expressions but sometimes he just really hits the like the shift forward or whatever you call it and it just goes way 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 too overboard and at this yeah. point in time this is a, this is a case of it in its first real incarnation because he just basically just smiles at Ted slapping him and then just pulses yeah so it just lets his body move in ways that it's, uh, a regular human body wouldn't move Stephanie approaches Jericho backstage, calls him one of SmackDown's biggest stars and wants to know if he's happy on SmackDown. And Jericho says, of course he's happy, he's ecstatic, because his band Fozzie's new CD is out and he's going to leave Edge in a pool of his own blood tonight. And then he walks off and leaves. Because I, I am just all about the media here. Jericho with the freaking CD player and, mm. like, the headphones, that must have been about five bucks. Like... Just so much fun to look back at that. And uh, Happenstance is a decent album by Fozzie. To Kill a Stranger is used for like the next three years in WWE. And it's just a good album. 
we see Rey Mysterio putting on his mask backstage. And so that's the first time you get Rey Mysterio before the next match, which is Rey Mysterio versus Chavo Guerrero, Rey Mysterio's debut. So Mysterio looks considerably smaller than he does now. Yeah. Very thin, very lean. Very flippy at this point still. Like, very, you know, about what you would expect from today's, like, Johnny Gargano or something. Rey Mysterio is peak cruiserweight here. So this is where Rey Mysterio hasn't decided to bulk up in order to try and feel like a bit more of a main eventer. And he hasn't had about... He's he's probably only had about three or four knee surgeries at this point. So he isn't as beaten up as he is nowadays. So he can still do a lot of the moves that he was performing in WCW, just not up to quite that level, but enough for people that hadn't seen WCW to be really excited with his work. Cole refers to him as the most celebrated luchador in the United States since Mil Mascaras. I think, you know, not much of a stretch. I'd, I'd say... Mysterio is far surpassed. Now, yeah. That's the thing. Maybe at this point, obviously not, because he hadn't arrived in WWE yet, but by now, Mysterio is the most celebrated luchador in WWE history. In, so in wrestling is, history, probably. I'm not off base here by saying we're in July of 02, Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire just released. They're trying to play off of that buzz, right? Because he's doing the, you know, the Who's That Jumping Out the Sky entrance with the pyro, which is one of the best entrances in WWE. But he's also got, like, legit spider webs on his gear. So they're clearly going for, hey, you know, Spider-Man just came out. I mean, surely if they wanted to capture the buzz, they would have done Bumblebee Man instead. <laughs> Very good. If Tony's listening, he'll enjoy that one. And he'll probably be the only one. But we'll move on then. No, our, on. Our I don't want to make that in, like, I don't... It feels like gimmick infringement now. I don't. I don't like it. <laughs> well, but, you're fine. So we have a really flashy opening, like cruiserweight luchador style opening with. It's the spot where you have like both your hands clasped on the mat, and you the smaller guy leaps up onto the other guy's shoulders, performs a few moves off the back of that. Mysterio blocks a baseball, a Guerrero blocks a baseball slide, and throws Mysterio outside, inside out with a German suplex. So that's the, an interesting aspect of this. This is the competitive match. This isn't Mysterio winning in two minutes to get over. They're getting Mysterio over by putting on great matches. Because, what yeah, if- that's at this point, that is the attraction you're getting. You know, he's going to give you these spectacular moves, and you can only get there in Lucha Libre if you're performing that dance perfectly with your partner. We see a few spots that are still Mysterio still uses to this day, like he does the... Guerrero slides him on his belly through, onto the bottom of the ring, onto the floor, which Mysterio do, still does on occasion. Uh, Mysterio does do, doesn't do this very often, but a corkscrew plunger to the outside. He does a nice Zack Sabre Jr. style pinning combination where he kind of like does the O'Connor roll and leans back. Uh, I loved this match. This is... Oh, yeah, it's great. This is like peak Chavo. Chavo's not bulked up at all. At this point, which is very good because, you know, he's still just like in the peak of his abilities. This is a solid, solid match. Maybe one of the best these two would have in WWE. Guerrero blocks a code red into the gory bomb and he gets two. Mysterio gets him in position for a 619 in the corner. So it's not actually in the center of the ropes, but in the like turnbuckle corner. And even says a da 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 before he hits it. 
which <laughs> nice. he removed pretty soon afterwards. And he hits the 619, but Taz refers to it as a 619. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> and then they hit the West Coast Pop, which was just referred to as a Hurricane Rana, and gets the win. I missed the West Coast Pop. Yeah. He... I thought that that made the 619... Such an impactful move. As far as the depth of hell, uh, I always hear that the selling point for Mysterio was, well, he could be your Mighty Mouse, Vince. I wonder if that was just straight up like, hey, before you win, can you just go depth da 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 Like, be, be Mighty Mouse for me, right? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I had to wait until Neville came around just to try and hammer it home, really. But this was a good competitive match, like you say, like really well put together between two guys who were cruiserweights and looked like cruiserweights and acted like cruiserweights. And yeah, it's just a strong introduction of what Mysterio can bring to the table in the company. I really want to point this out. Very diverse roster at this point. Mm. Like diverse styles, diverse attitudes, a lot of really good, you know, these, these characters are all on different levels. I... Really miss that in WWE. We see Test walking backstage. He bumps into Rey Mysterio as he's leaving the ring area. Test, because he's a dick, grabs Mysterio from behind for no reason and throws him into the garage door. Yeah, because, you know, Test is big, Mysterio's not. Uh, pretty black and white here. But we're, we're not done with any of these guys yet. No, still a lot more to come. But we, we immediately have Test here. It's Test versus John Cena. One of the Not things I promote match. on this show is Goldmember, the third and final Austin Powers movie, which we talked about, I think, in an earlier edition about talking about Beyonce for a second there, about how young she was in this movie. Uh, you know, the Austin Powers movie is fantastic. I really do hope to uh, get to review them with Tony on a future episode of Fanboys Anonymous. First and second are great. I think the third one is a bit of a stretch to say it's great. The third one is very much the... Hey, this is popular now, so let's run it into the ground. It's very much the Shrek 3 of Mike Myers franchises. I guess Mike Myers, he can't do 3. He needs to stop at 2. No, he needs to stop at 2 or go straight to 4. Right. I think, um, was, Shrek 4 after is pretty good. Yeah, that's like, yeah I, don't, I don't mind the um, the 4th Shrek movie. So we have Test versus uh, Cena. Test does a ridiculous flip bump off a Cena DDT at some point. After like dominating early, Te- uh, Cena hits probably the best drop kick that we've seen out of him so far. He hits another Stinger splash. He still has that move in his repertoire. You know, maybe he could kept it if he said that da 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 before he did the Stinger splash. Cena avoids the pump handle slam, hits the protoplex, but only gets two. Test hits the does hit the pump handle slam at the second attempt, but Cena gets his shoulder up at the very last second, which I thought was good. I thought that was over at that point. Test gets. Frustrated, pushes the referee, referee pushes him back, Cena rolls him up and gets the pin. Uh, uh, on a, Wonder no, Boy get, John, oh, no, man. He doesn't get a pin off that one. Test tries to powerbomb, but then Cena does do roll him into an ugly looking sunset flip to get the win. So I don't know why he didn't just roll him up, because they just did a move and he just rolled him up afterwards to win anyway. Um, all things considered, I... I'm liking what I'm seeing, I guess, because I have this like nostalgia of I know it all works out well for John. Not so much for but... Test. What? Not so much for Test. No, not so much for Test, no. But like, John here, I would have never guessed he's going to be the Hulk Hogan of the next decade. Yeah. 
So Tess boots him off the bell, cuts the celebration short, walks away because Tess is just being booked as just a big bully and a dick for the entire show at this point. Yeah, and I think had Heyman kept his hands on Tess, maybe Tess could have been a bigger deal. So we're back with backstage with Stacy and Stephanie. Stacy says she can only get Angle's voicemail. Stephanie leaves another message saying that at least Nesna had the courtesy to tell Bischoff she was leaving Raw to her face. So it's basically a case of now she's angry at Kurt and she's going to use a different tactic to try and get him to show up. And so she demands that he turns up to tell him, like, tell her his decision to her face. So. So, yeah, that's just a different approach that Stephanie's taking now. I like that uh, because of dumbass Mark Lloyd, Stephanie's very pissed off at Kurt Angle. And it's like, all he said was, I'm talking to Eric. Eric can be anybody, including, you know, who it was. So we have Edge versus Chris Jericho, main event, steel cage match. A very, very good steel cage match. Yeah, Uh, I love these two. There are a few there are a few touches that I wasn't so happy about. I don't like I don't like a match where it's a steel cage match and the babyface is desperate to get his hands on the heel that they try and escape when there's pinfalls. I don't I don't think that should ever be the case unless if it's just a steel cage match and there isn't really a great deal of animosity, then I can just understand it because it's just somebody trying to win a match. But when Edge and Jericho are supposedly in this big blood feud and they really hate each other, Edge should be trying to beat him in the ring rather than trying to escape. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I think the escape rule worked for a couple of dudes. Like, works for worked for Hogan, because he used to do, like, the dramatic, I'm getting out of here, brother. Worked for Brett. But, like, once you drop the blue bar aspect, I think the escape the cage segment lost a lot of steam for me. I always enjoy when the guys are like fighting and it's a real cage fight rather than oh my god i gotta get out of here i i just never like that well i think it should be one or the other i think it should be if you're having a cage match it should either be strictly escape only or it should be pinfall submission no escape because in those circumstances the idea of the cage is to keep people out of the ring whereas you could still do a match where the objective is to escape first because that at least has a different dynamic to it that's true so yeah, it's a decent match overall. There's Edge uses a spear to Jericho while he's tied up in the rope. Jericho ties him up in the ropes at one point and rains down some punches. Edge is busted open. So he's bleeding for a while, but he's not bleeding like, super significantly. Uh, Edge hits a faceplant suplex from the uh, top rope, as which Apt has some reason referred to as an inverted powerbomb. Well, I could understand it if it was Cole, but it's Taz doing it instead. And he I'm surprised he didn't make him re-record that, honestly. Yeah. So Jericho tries the walls, Edge reverses it, catapults him into the cage. Oh, oh, no, actually, he doesn't reverse it, but he can't apply it, so he catapults Edge into the cage instead. Uh, Edge drags Jericho away from the door. Jericho manages to grab a chair on the inside and nails Edge with a steel chair shot like, between the eyes. Not pretty, obviously, in 2020, but it is 2002. We kind of have to get used to it. And he only gets a two count off of that. Jericho swings again, Edge hits a spear, but again, it's only for two because the spear wasn't really his final finishing move at this point. Right, he's looking for the execution. So then we have two big high spots of the match, which is that Edge climbs up, but Jericho takes him off with a bulldog from the top rope. 
which is kind of only one of those moves that you can only really perform when you have something to hold on to while you're while you're performing it. And then right. Jericho almost reaches the top of the cage, like he's hanging off the roof of the cage. But Edge grabs him, puts him into an electric chair drop from the top rope into the. That that, that was a scary spot. Man, the shit you do to try to get over. Mm. So at this point, they're both down. So Jericho is going for the door and Edge is climbing over. So it's the classic race to whoever hits the ground first. I love it because Jericho, while he's crawling, you can see him looking up at the screen because he's looking to see where Edge is as he crawls towards it to make sure that he doesn't get out first. And Edge does manage to get down first. He wins the match, escapes the cage. But before he can even start to celebrate, the Un-Americans swarm Edge on the floor and they toss him back into the ring for some more beating up with Jericho. So it's all three Un-Americans, four on one beat down. John Cena comes out, tries to help Edge, but he's beaten down instead. Oh, John. So it's now four on two. But then the big, big moment comes when Rey Mysterio scales to the top of the cage and nails that iconic crossbody spot on Storm and Christian. That, I swear to you, if they do a Rey Mysterio video package today, it will be in there. Obviously, they had the great match with Chavo, but this is the segment that everyone remembers from De- Rey Mysterio's debut appearance on SmackDown. It's something that I think you mentioned, and I think we've mentioned before, it's something that gets repeated over and over again on SmackDown. Like the the, the hype videos before the start of episodes, like just any packages they put together, like the those SmackDown 1000 and all those other special editions. It's just something that comes back over and over and over again. And another thing, just from the match itself and the whole night, I can't believe how small so many of these guys still are. Edge looks small. Even Jericho doesn't look like his peak physical condition. Like, these guys are still very, I guess, natural, for lack of a better word. (laughs) I think natural is the most appropriate word in that yeah, circumstances because yeah. there's a reason why a lot of them got a lot bigger and it's got nothing to do with, well, it's probably got something it, to do with working something out. Something to do with hitting the gym, but probably a lot to do with substances. Yes, which, but allegedly, we probably, probably add at the very least. Yeah. Uh, so the baby faces clear the ring. They do, like, they all celebrate towards the end, all the heels skulk away. So Stephanie's watch, watching the match backstage with Billy Kidman, of all people. Just talking about how great the main event was, and Stacey informs her that Bischoff is in the parking lot. Uh, after more footage of the babyfaces celebrating, Stephanie bangs on Bischoff's limo. Bischoff hops out of the sunroof and claims that he's delivered a knockout blow with the new signing he has in the limo. He's talked to the signing, and then they drive away with Stephanie, like really angry and despondent about the fact that she she assumes that she's just lost her angle to Raw. Yeah, I love this. It's um. He's just like, hey, we got, we got it with the right cross. And then we hit an uppercut. And he's just gloating as the limo drives away. So as the limo drives away, Angle approaches from behind and Stephanie's thrilled. Angle says that he was on the phone with his brother, Eric. Yeah, how could you? Like, what? that's good because it's, it's very real. easy yeah. humor. But like, how could, not, like that. how could you not think, oh, it's got to be Eric Bischoff, clearly. There's only one Eric in the world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and said that he then switched his phone off to let off steam after the Brock incident. But then Stephanie, this is the, I mean, this is the real like sign off of the entire show. And it's very typical of Stephanie McMahon acting where she turns and like in a best soap opera cliffhanger voice says, if you're not in the limo, Kurt, 
then who is? And then yeah, this you hear very... the dun, 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 that sort of musical. Like no, this is very Vince saying, I want more soap opera acting. Yeah, I just wish it wasn't Stephanie doing it, because Stephanie's can be really good when she's playing the, the evil heel character, but sometimes she can just, again, just overblows it like Cena does. Yeah. And this, and this was a case of it just being a very, very corny. Again, I would have reshot that. I'd been like, a little more natural, Steph, a little less days of our lives and a little more just like wait who the hell is in the <laughs> and then stephanie said well i'm head of creative and i thought it was perfect and then they just oh well it. that's there you go <laughs> so <laughs> the signings ended up being the un-americans and chris jericho who would end up joining raw which is surprising considering the fact they were in the main event angle and they must have just sprinted out yeah, how the fuck into, did they get back there? <laughs> into the limo <laughs> so uh that's uh I mean, they did, like, escape through the crowd, so maybe they somehow managed to run there in time, but it just seems odd that they just all got beaten up by a load of SmackDown guys and thought, okay, so we're not building towards a triple, uh, a six-man tag for next week, we're just all leaving, so fuck you. It's a little weird, too, from a logic standpoint, like, why would Eric Bischoff, why would you want these guys, they just, they all just got their asses kicked, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, this was a, overall, this is a good show. And there's like a lot of good stuff in it. You had the Rock Hogan teaming up, which even though it's not great from an actual, it was good for a wrestling standpoint, but not so like super athletic style thing. But that's good to see those two together. Get to see Rey Mysterio's debut was a good match. We had the cage match and all the the bells and whistles attached to that, and that was all a lot of fun. I think that again, it's just overblown with a lot of the the GM stuff. It wasn't as overbearing as it was the previous week but still it's still there and it still irritates me and some of the matches were either completely inconsequential like the Devon and Valboski match or the Rikishi Albert match so it's not perfect by any stretch of imagination but still solid show would watch it over this previous week's Smackdown or the Smackdown from the Smackdown with that stupid karaoke contest you hit it on the nail on the head like it wasn't perfect, but I still love this era. Like, there's so much good happening. So, with that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about what people can expect from the next episode of the, of the uh, Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast, which is the August 1st, 2002 edition. So, we'll have Rem Zero's second match, where he takes on Tajiro, which should be another good match. We have Brock Lesnar making his in-ring debut against Mark Henry. Yeah. We have Kurt Angle versus Hulk Hogan. Great match. Another big match. Rikishi versus Reverend Devon. Oh, boy. you just... Rikishi and Devon, you can't get rid of them, Callum. What are we doing here? John Cena versus Rico. <laughs> uh, former, former OBW alliance there. And in the main event, it is The Rock and Edge versus SmackDown's two newest acquisitions on the night. Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero are finally here on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. And I think we are about to hit the stride of Paul Heyman SmackDown. So, lots to look forward to next week, as always. So, we'll bring you that next edition there. So, the only thing left to do is to pull out a few, a few plugs. So, if you haven't already, make sure you're liking the video, hit the notification bell... Make sure you're tuning in for all the rest of the uploads that are coming outside of the Paul Heyman podcast, the hot tags, any whatever show we're putting on in the middle of the week. 
all great stuff there. You can follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, all the other great places you can find Small Count Moment, at Small Count Moment. You, if you want to join in with the conversation and get engaged with some other wrestling fans, you can check out the Mega Maniacs, join us on the Facebook group. There is, if you want to support, support us financially, obviously there is the Patreon, which we discussed earlier, where you could see the dark casts of these extra shows that we're putting on, where we're reviewing all the pay-per-views from 2002 during Paul Heyman's tenure, as well as if you want us to review anything else outside of this, if you want us to go back and watch the third, that Ring of Honor match that we talked about earlier, if you want us to go back and revisit the very first Ring of Honor shows, then you can do that, if we can find it online, obviously. And if you pay the... Uh, the Pick Your Poison tier, which is $50 tier. And other ways you can support us financially is you can visit the Red Bubble or Tea Public shops, uh, pick up some merchandise, pick up a mask, pick up. Ray Mysterio a wears masks. He's, he's pretty over. Yeah. Yeah, pick up a, a Ray Mysterio style like mask that covers just, just your face. Like, your eyes are fine. Don't need to do that as much. Ray Mysterio's eye might not be as fine after Extreme Rules. <laughs> That's right. Which has already happened by the time this has been recorded. So, so as I, <laughs> he I might already need to take an eye. Yeah, you know which one doesn't have an eye at the moment. Uh, Rob, you want to throw some more stuff out there? Yeah. I... Also, check out you know all the weekly articles on Spring Moment. We got a great team that's really coming together to do some pretty good stuff. Uh, check me out on Fightful and WrestleZone. That's where I'm doing the news and all of the other articles that pertain to modern day wrestling. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DudeFleece. So just for Tony's sake, we'll also plug our blue brand, our sister brand, Fanboys Anonymous as well. Check out their website, check out their Patreon, check out all the merchandise they have going as well. And for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. And I think that brings us to a close. So thank you very much again for joining us for another edition of the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast. We'll be back again next week. But for now, this has been another Smart Count moment. And we are being counted out.